The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. We've been working our way through Genesis chapter 26 and we've discovered that there are a number of parallels between Isaac's story, which we're reading now, and that of his father Abraham that we read through just a few weeks ago. For both of them, significant parts of their story have been played out in this region, which, as uh, we've been reminded, is a troublesome region. It's where a lot of the troubles are happening right now in Israel. I said last week that this region is primarily desert. The land can flourish, but it requires a lot of hard work by people who want to tap into and effectively utilise the reservoirs of, la- of water that exist under the land. And as I reflected on that, I figured that's probably why Abraham and Isaac ended up down here in the south, because as they've travelled down through the land, they've gone from where the land is more naturally flourishing to some of the more difficult places. And I wondered at God taking us sometimes through those places that we would rather dwell and say now is not yet the time for those moments there's some lessons I want you to learn in the tougher places and so Abraham and Isaac find themselves in the south of the land and they find they can come and they can settle there in this region we saw last week that having reopened the old wells that his father's Abraham's servants had dug and he dug new, and uh, Isaac's servants digging new ones. And they've had to move on repeatedly, as we read last week, to avoid conflict with the uh, Philistines. And now Isaac and his household have found a place to settle on the northern region of the Negev desert. In Genesis 26:22, we had read that he moved on from there and he dug another well and no one quarrelled over it. And he named the place Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. Travelling about 30 kilometres further south to the very edge of the desert, sorry, further north to the very edge of the desert, we're told that God reaffirmed the promises that he had given first to and through Abraham. And in verse 25 we read that there Isaac built an altar, and there he called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. And so this morning we pick up the story in verse 26. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come from Gera with Ahuzaz, his uh, personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me uh, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we clearly saw that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you so that we, you will do no harm to us, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac made a feast for them and they ate and they drank and early the next morning, The men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and the men went away, and they went away peacefully. 
That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug. They said, we have found water. And he called it Sheba. And to this day the place is named Beersheba. A few weeks ago we noted that Abimelech, this Abimelech may be the same Abimelech that Abraham had encountered or the possibility that he was a, a son of Abimelech. But as he comes this time to meet Isaac, we notice he's also got Phicol with him. And Phicol was the commander of the armies who came with Abimelech the first time to meet Abraham. Increasingly, I've been mind, therefore, to believe that these are the same uh, Abimelech. This is the same Abimelech, the same one who had taken a liking to Sarah, Abraham's wife, and now in turn has taken a liking to Rebekah's, uh, Isaac's wife. This is the same Abimelech who on both occasions was told by Abraham and Isaac, she is my sister. And if this is the same Abimelech, then the story, this whole story really does have for him a real sense of deja vu. So many parallels between these two stories, between his encounters with Abraham and now his encounters with Isaac. Of course, there was one part of the story that he didn't need repeated, because back in Abraham's day, God came to Abimelech and said to him one night in a dream, you're as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. When you have a God encounter like that, you do not need a second one. You do not forget those moments when you encounter God like that. And so in chapter 21, we read of the, the treaty that he had made with Abraham. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown to you. So that place was named Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. Now here again in Beersheba, we read of Abimelech seeking to make another treaty, this time with Isaac. Last week we read that Isaac had reopened the wells that his father had dug and he gave them the same name that his father had given them. This was true literally, but it was figuratively, metaphorically and figuratively true as well. Well, Isaac had repeated some of his father's mistakes. He also followed him in many of the good things that he did. His focus on following and serving God, on digging wells and building altars and calling on the name of the Lord. And now when Abimelech comes seeking a treaty of peace with Isaac, as he had with Abraham, Isaac says, why have you come to me? Since you were hostile to me and sent me away. Isaac is very, very cautious. Well, Abimelech will claim, we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. We remember that uh, Abimelech's servants had filled in the wells that Isaac's men had dug. They may not have physically attacked Isaac and Rebekah, but they were incredibly passive-aggressive. And Isaac clearly had reason 
to be cautious, at least in one sense. But he certainly had no reason to be afraid of Abimelech or Phicol and their army. Rather, it says that Abimelech has more reason to be fearful of the growing presence and prosperity of Isaac and his entourage. If we think back to Abraham, we remember that Abraham was more than willing to fight. When he took off, Lot had been, you remember, Lot had been captured by the four kings of the north, and Abraham rounded up the fighting men from within his extended family, and they took off up north, chased these four kings and their armies up north, and routed them. And so I'm pretty sure, and I'm pretty sure, Abimelech is pretty sure that Isaac could also become quite a powerful enemy. And so Abimelech comes seeking an assurance of peace. A treaty with Isaac to be sealed by an oath in the same place that the treaty had been sealed had been made with Abraham. Beersheba means the well of the oath. And so another well is dug, another treaty is signed, and the place is given the same name that Abraham had given it, Beersheba. You know, there is a time to stand up and fight. For Abraham, it was to rescue his nephew Lot. Even Jesus had his moments where he would stand up and fight. We're told that on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and they began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. I was intrigued to discover that the reason Jesus was so upset was that the place where this transaction, where this business was taking place, it was the court of the Gentiles. If you went into the uh, Jewish temple there were various courts and so the, the men could go into worship and then in the next court, the women could go to worship. But the next court, which was where the Gentiles, all the nations could come. This was where they were trading. They were fulfilling their own worship, but at the cost of the nations. And God wanted to call the nations. How easy it is to do things that facilitate our own worship, but which keep others from coming into the presence of God. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus approaches the teachers of the law and he takes up a fight. He says, You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. See, Jesus never shied away from calling a spade a spade. And there will come a time 
when the descendants of Abraham and Isaac will go to battle to take possession of the land of promise under the leadership of Joshua. However, the battle was never the first choice. First and foremost, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. First and foremost, Abraham and Isaac looked to live at peace with those around them. When the Philistine soldiers and servants would fill in the wells, they didn't go and fight them so they could redig the wells, they just moved on and they moved on. The time was right just to keep moving until they found a safe place where they would have room to live. But in spite of Isaac's concerns, Abimelech assured them the intentions were for peace. And so Isaac threw a great feast. A good feed is always a good way to build good relationships. And the following morning they swore an oath and a treaty for peace was made. When I think of the things that God has called us to, promised to us. There have been and there probably will be times when we need to fight to take hold of those things and to hold on to those things. However, it concerns me how readily Christians seem to take the fight as the first port of call. You may or may not agree with me, but I find many of our approaches to evangelism to be quite confrontational and aggressive. Over the last few years, especially in the lead up to the election, so many Christians seem ready to fight for what they believe. And please hear me, I understand why. And there's something in me that says I want to be there. I want to stand with them. Because there are some things that we feel we need to fight for. And there seem to be times when Jesus would stand up and fight. But Jesus didn't go looking for a fight. Other than with the religious leaders. And Isaac didn't go looking for a fight. He wanted a place to settle and to take hold of all that God was promising. And as he did that, his potential enemy, Abimelech, was watching. We've got plenty around who are potential enemies, but they are watching. And Abimelech saw that clearly the Lord was with Isaac. And if we go back to the previous generation, with Abraham, Abimelech was watching, and he said, we saw clearly uh, that God was with you in everything you do. Jesus put it this way, and uh, Marcus, you talked about coincidence. And Mike, you mentioned this verse when you were speaking earlier and he had no idea. I just looked over at them and said to him, it's in my message. 
Because Jesus put it this way, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Peter writes, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Maybe most people today don't have reason to ask Christians for the reason for the hope they have. Do we live lives that others look at and go, God is clearly at work in your life, please tell me why. Please tell me how. So often it was the religious leaders that Jesus had to fight with. But the world, it seemed, generally speaking, flocked to him. Just as Abimelech had gone to Isaac and, and to Abraham before that. I can't help thinking that the world might more readily seek us out, or at least seek to be at peace with us, and to seek out Jesus, if they could see more of him in us. And so my thoughts turned again to Romans 12, which we've talked about a few times over the last few weeks. We were encouraged by Paul to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then we talked about serving passionately, willingly and diligently with the gifts that God has given us. And then Paul goes on to talk about how we should live and what it means to let our light shine before men. Now, if you ever thought that the Bible is too complicated, just listen to these next few verses. There is nothing complicated in what I'm about to say. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. And I think it's passages like this that cause us to look at the complicated passages and say, God, I don't understand. And God's going, there's plenty you do understand. Just live those things. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. That's a tough word. That's a very clear word. How many Christians play around with what is evil? They don't want to be tough on those. Jesus was tough on evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Anyone not understand what those things are saying? Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. 
Not complicated, not easy, but not complicated. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, and clearly it's not always, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. As it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Some of us are more than ready to avoid conflict. We hate conflict. And we won't go into conflict when we need to go into conflict. But we would also rather walk away than stand up for truth. But there are many of us who are all too ready to stand up and fight. For all sorts of things, sometimes for what we believe. And many of us are even ready to pray. But how many of us are ready to humble ourselves, to repent, and to turn from our own wicked, selfish ways? I'll take it from Charlie Brown. How many of us are ready to change the way we choose to live and to let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven? God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.